All right, everybody, welcome back to Best Hour of the Day. Fern here, and I'm here with good, bid good buddy and fellow seminar staff member, Alex Zirkenbach. Did I get that right? I always feel like I fucking correct. You got it. nailed it, bro. Nailed it. Um, what time is your flight this, this afternoon? I'm flying around, I think it's 3, 3.30, flying from San Diego up to San Jose. Going, going, up, to up, the, to, going up to judge the games, baby. Right. Oh, yep. Dude, that's going to be it's going to be nuts, I think. In a whole different way. It's gonna be crazy. Uh, it's interesting that the you know the points reset to zero, uh, and to see what happens in this last set. Obviously, everybody's expecting Matt and Tia just to to you know take it all, take most events. But you know that's why you do the competition. You gotta right. see what actually comes out. I think the whole the whole resetting to zero and then only having five people in there. And I don't. I haven't even looked at the scoring system yet. That changes everything, dude. Like, I mean, that changes everything. I think you know. I think I'd seen the scoring system, and I'll be briefed on it when I go up there. But there's you know obviously huge gaps between the points, um, and it could be huge swings, right? So if you're even if you get a last place and then a third place and something, you know, there could be could be a huge gap. But there could also be you know Matt and Tia take the first couple events, and there just be an yeah, and then the, yeah, just the and the lead is just insane, and it doesn't even matter yeah, at that Matt point. Like he expects, you know, maybe the front there'd be a, a top two for both men and women, and then there just could be a huge gap for the rest of the three or something. But <laughs> I I don't know anything about what's going on there. I know that there is a lot of pain in people's future, though. That is going to be nuts. <laughs> I mean, that corn sack sprint, uh, <sighs> a real real dick move to call it a sprint. But, <laughs> 400 meters up that hill you, you've run that hill before right yes it's terrible it's terrible you get you get about a minute in you're like i feel great and then the the slopes tends to starts getting higher and higher so you're almost like grabbing the ground to go up like you're climbing it all fours bear crawl and it your quads just burn like it's nothing you've ever felt it's like being on the assault bike and pedaling as hard as possible for you know like Two minutes, three minutes. Yeah, as hard as you possibly can go. <laughs> and just lungs burning, quads. And then you're going to carry. Imagine carrying an extra like 50, 35 pounds. No, thank you. They'd have to but, break out a sundial for me, dude. They'd be like, what day did he make it? Like, how, when did I, he get there? I almost am just mentally preparing myself because I have a feeling that we're, as judges, possibly going to do this as like a little, you know, cup of fitness for the judges. <laughs> well, I'll be... I'll be praying for you, my friend. <laughs> I, uh, for sure, somebody's going to cry. Probably both male and female. <laughs> like, it's going to be brutal. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm just, I'm just, I would be terrified as an athlete that there's only five of us. We're there for three days, which means that duration of events almost is whatever. Doesn't even matter. <laughs> it's like, this is a four-hour event, everybody. And you're like, holy shit. That would be really interesting to do an event that did last legitimately like over an hour long, right? Like you probably, you can't do that with, you know, 40 athletes or more at the games. No. I guess you could, you could do anything. But now you, because you only have five, like you said, you really could test time domains that go on. I mean, you could, you could put something in there crazy where it was just like, I don't know that you could do it. Cause like, it would just take too damn long, but it'd be interesting to just be like, whoever's, still moving wins 
like a kind of like Spartan race style where like you run right. two miles between events and then do something and then run another five miles to when you spot. quit when you quit you're out <laughs> whoever doesn't quit wins <laughs> that'd be nuts um but i'm looking forward to it it is going to be aired on cbs which i thought is pretty awesome so um everybody will get to watch it which would be great but that is not why we're on this call uh we are gonna chat about uh the adaptive training academy because i just took the online course um and i want to talk about that because i think it's on amazing course so cassidy uh, who you know, who's my head coach, he took the in-person course, I don't know, maybe like a year and a half, two years ago, said it was one of the best courses he ever took. And I've been wanting to take it. This was the next best option. And it didn't disappoint, dude. I mean, oh. it, I thought it was awesome. It was extremely thorough. Uh, I think it took me 11 and a half hours, like on the computer. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, it was, it was a lot. And I don't want to steal your thunder, but what was the timeline? Like, when did you guys put that online and talk about that course a little bit? Wow. Uh, you know, this may be one of the positive things to come out of COVID-19 and the, the pandemic this year was forcing our hand to create an online version of this course. Uh, prior to it, we've only, you know, we've followed the CrossFit seminar model where it's all live seminar based, which is absolutely amazing. Um, and we definitely prefer to teach and coach in person. There's just, there's nothing like that effect of having that in-person, you know, hands-on effect of being in a community, getting questions answered right then and there. Um, but we are limited by our time domain. So, you know, um, what was really funny is we had a European tour of seminars for Adaptive Training Academy. And this is for the Adaptive and Inclusive Trainer course. Um, we had a European tour. We were supposed to be in Milan on April 4th of this year. And if you, uh, if you know what was happening, you know, right around March when every place in the world was shutting down and in Milan was literally the epicenter of European breakouts at the time. <laughs> so we were like, well, maybe we shouldn't go to Milan right now. Uh, uh, so we had to cancel all those. I mean, we, we canceled all of our live seminars from April through the rest of the year. And um, we're looking to still educate people. And so we, in April, we're like, wow, we, we need to get this education to people. We've already sold these courses. We prefer to keep them as learners and, and get them their certification. So decided to create an online course. Uh, I reached out to, to Boz in CrossFit because he was you know, leading the online education for CrossFit. Mm -hmm. um, was talking about different online platforms and whatnot. And uh, we just, we sat down and hunkered down. I, I went out to Raleigh, North Carolina, where Logan Aldridge is. Yep. Uh, Logan's one of our, he's one of our founders with us and uh, seminar staff for adaptive training. And so he has an extra bedroom and a garage gym in Raleigh, which is, you know, we could uh, quarantine together. And we just literally for all of April through the beginning of May, spent hours a day just plugging away, figuring out how to take an, a live seminar and convert it to an online course. So um, we did it in about a month and a half and launched it in early May. And uh, that's impressive, dude. I think uh, when we first launched it, we had a hundred and 162 people like in the first day sign up because they were waiting they just wanted to get to it and wanted yeah. to have edge and then um i think we've graduated almost 300 people since then dude that's awesome and uh that was all self-paced that was just very much similar to what crossfit does as far as selling their online course and you can kind of go through at your own speed um and then we recently converted to having a cohort model so a four-week guided cohort and people can take either option the education is the same but this four-week guided cohort, uh, our staff will will meet with you once a week in a live Zoom, and uh, we go over some other 
experiential things. So you get some perception and awareness and then review content, answer questions, and really just kind of hold your hand through four weeks, right? Like just yeah. make sure you stay on track, like, Hey, get through these lessons and these yep. days and, uh, and finish it in four weeks. Otherwise, you know, you know how life gets in the way and you kind of mm -hmm. don't finish things you start, especially, uh, like an online course these days. I think, I think I might've gotten it done in four weeks, but I was hustling because the, because uh, Cassidy had put me on the hook. He was like, Hey, you're going to take the course and then you're going to present to the, to, to the coaching staff here. Cause it's one of the things we're trying to change as far as our continuing education is like put people in courses, but then they got to teach the rest of the staff. So I was struggling. I was just like, ah, two weeks, it'll be fine. <laughs> so I started taking, I was like, oh, I'm in another two weeks, bro. I was like, this shit is long. <laughs> um, yeah, but it was good. But I, but no, I agree with you that there's a, there is a ton of content. It's a lot of video in there, which is fantastic. But I do think that live Q and a is crucial. Um, I think that's really, really cool. And I think that's where actually like most of the value in some of these courses is just kind of like getting on a phone call, asking questions, listening to other people's questions and then kind of getting to unpack that and be like, Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's, that's like, that's a, that's a legit question. Like that hadn't even crossed my mind. So I think they're going to get way better experience that way. Not that, not that the online course that you have as is, is bad. It's one of the more thorough online courses I've taken. Like I said, it took me 11 and a half hours. That's like on the computer, not just like, you know, like I sat in my, like it, it was, it's, it's thorough. And there's like how yeah, many modules in there? Eight or nine, I think modules in there. Uh, there's 11 different chapters. Yeah. Uh, chapters and yeah, there's, there's over five hours of just videos alone. So yeah. of course the course for those that are listening, uh, if you've taken any of the new CrossFit courses, we built the course in the same platform. So it looks like a responsive website and you go through it and yeah. things pop up and you can click there's interactions. Uh, but we, we always start with a video. So each lesson within a chapter always starts with like a two to five minute video of, a, of, of one of our staff members lecturing to you. And then below it are the same concepts, the same teaching points written out or mm -hmm. displayed in a graphic or something. So you can learn it again, a second way. Um, but like you were saying, the best way to actually retain that and be able to use it practically would be able to discuss it with other people. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's the idea of the cohort is you get on a zoom with 50 people and you, even just, even if you don't even ask a question, you hear other people's questions. Yeah. And you're like, you have to process that and think, okay, what are they asking? Okay. I understand the concept. Now I know how to apply it. Maybe I can answer that question or maybe I don't know how to answer that question. And I should go back into the content and reread that and learn that because I mm -hmm. either forgot it or didn't get it the first time. Yeah. And then there's built in Q and a at the end of each module mm -hmm. to kind of like knowledge, knowledge based questions. Um, so yeah, again, bravo to you guys. And the fact that you guys did that in a month and a half, like that is, that's fantastic, dude. So and, well done. And even the first version, you know, we've, we've gone through about five different iterations since then, and we will continue to improve that. The nice thing about the, the platform we use is we can just upload and re and keep changing it so that it just keeps getting better. And people like you taking the course and giving feedback is critical to us getting better. And uh, we're always open to, you know, getting better. I, <laughs> if you talk to my staff, I'm very much a perfectionist and I am not satisfied with this course at all. Uh, I think it's great. That's okay. I won't be satisfied probably ever. I always want to make it better. Uh, but other people, uh, even on our staff, like, you know, Logan Aldridge, Kevin Ogar, um, you know, they would probably be very content with this cause they, they're not the perfectionist I am, but we'll, we'll continue to make it better. 
Well, but on that note, like that's a, that's how you develop, right? Like, and particularly if you're, if you're the owner of the content, like I'm kind of the same way about things we do here. I'm like, everything here sucks. Like this gym is terrible. Like it will burn down to the ground. And then people, they're like, oh, that's really, you guys have a great gym. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, it's mediocre on my best day, you know? Um, No, but I think that's good. So on that note, with regard to getting better, I think it's pretty obvious, but let's not assume what is the adaptive training academy about? Like, what do you do? And who is this course for? Yeah, our mission in general is to, to make uh, fitness inclusive and accessible for everyone, but specifically people with disabilities. So uh, I think there's a gap or, and a, a hole in our knowledge right now in the CrossFit community and in the fitness community at large. I think CrossFit community is doing a very good job of being inclusive. We've always preached that it's an inclusive mm-hmm. community, but still there is a knowledge gap when it comes to people with disabilities, right? We're used to working with people of varying uh, abilities, it just in the fitness, deconditioned mm-hmm. to conditioned athlete, to somebody who used to be an athlete and now hasn't trained in a while, whatever. Somebody who has great mobility, not great mobility. Coaches are used to working through that variance, but maybe not the variance of somebody with an actual significant permanent disability, mm-hmm. something that, you know, an amputee, uh, spinal cord injury, cerebral palsy, uh, even to neurodiverse intellectual disabilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, this and our course, our education is, is attempting to fill in that knowledge gap to make coaches and trainers, gyms inclusive and accepting of anybody who walks or rolls into your gym. Mm-hmm. So not only could you train somebody who's deconditioned or obese or has never worked out before, doesn't have any clue who deadlift is, but let's also prepare you to work with somebody who rolls in in a wheelchair, mm-hmm. comes in that has cerebral palsy or... Uh, has a recent, you know, motorcycle accident and now has a brachial plexus injury and can't use their left arm. Mm-hmm. They need fitness. They need fitness and, and health coaching more than ever. Yep. And so we, our mission is to prepare gyms and trainers and organizations to be able to work with those people. So a lot of people would probably, and I, I you know, full, full admins here, like I kind of originally when I was thinking about this whole concept of adaptive training, you're like, yeah, I get it. I'm like, A, that's badass. But B, my original thought was, well, it's just scaling, right? And not like in a cavalier way, but just kind of like, it's, it's scaling, right? It, you know, and then come to know, you like, you don't know what you don't know, and it's not the same thing. And I think one of the, one of the things that I've used in my gym that is not, and I don't, uh, yeah, I don't have any adaptive athletes in my gym, but the language in there is super important, right? And I think that that alone is a module is like language. And sure. it, it did open my eyes to a lot of different things, you know, things like, you know, just things like the difference between scaling and adapting, like they're not the same thing, right? Um, and I think that alone really kind of broadened my aperture from a coaching standpoint. It's just like, Yes, we're inclusive and we want people to come in here, but my language is not inclusive. Like the way I say things is not inclusive. And it's not because I don't want to be that way. It's because I literally don't know any better. Right. Yeah, we see that all the time. And, and you're right. The very first thing we do in the course is go over disability awareness uh, and, and disability language and kind of set the standard and give you the proper terms and language to work with people with disabilities. So you touched on adapting versus scaling. That's something even as red shirts that we, Kevin Ogar and I are actually working on right now to add some education into the, the level one, level two seminar staff for the red shirts 
specifically mm -hmm. so that they understand the language and terms and how to work with people at level one, level two seminars. Um, yeah, adapting and scaling, not the same, not the same at all. And it doesn't matter like whether you're putting an RX on the whiteboard or you're writing scale, that, that really doesn't matter. What matters is the, uh, the language you use can be very either empowering or it can be degrading, right. whether you need it or not. So what we commonly see is adaptive athletes, or people with permanent physical disabilities, like think uh, like a, a spinal cord injury or an amputee, right? Let's say, let's say a lower limb amputee comes in your gym and you guys are doing uh, Karen for the day or something, right? They may need to use a lighter medicine ball because they may not ever be able to generate the same amount of power with their lower limbs to, to put into that medicine ball to hit 150 wall ball shots in the same time domain as you know, somebody who didn't have that disability. Mm -hmm. And so making adjustments for that person so that they get the same exact stimulus of the workout is critical. And, that, and that's adaptive, right? right. Uh, what gets confusing for people is that we teach and we will use scaling tactics, like changing the implement, mm -hmm. uh, right? Like doing ring rows for pull-ups or doing jumping pull-ups for, you know, kipping pull-ups. We'll use the same scaling tactics to adapt for athletes. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's say you had an athlete with just using one upper limb. They had a brachial plexus injury or something. They, they may not be able to do kipping pull-ups or, or pull-ups, right, obviously. Mm -hmm. So they may be doing single arm ring rows alongside somebody who's a little bit deconditioned, a newer athlete, and maybe they're doing ring rows for pull-ups. And so if you just visually look at these two people doing ring rows, you're like, oh, they're both scaling the workout. Well, mm -hmm. maybe not. Maybe the athlete that has the, the doing it one-handed, uh, that's their RX version. Right. Of the and it's what we teach, and I, I hope people listening can understand, is RX uh, is it's very much individualized. Adapting mm -hmm. is individualized. So um, one, you couldn't even com compare, um, if people listening know Kevin Ogar, right? He's this massive, just bench presses 450, right? Mm -hmm. So when he goes to do his version of Karen, 150 wall balls for time, he's able to do uh, a 10 pound uh, or a 14 pound ball and tosses it to nine feet. And he's just using his shoulders and arms. That's insane. Now, if you try to have, <laughs> if you had, if you had another spinal cord injury athlete come in and they're, they're going to do the workout with Kevin and they try to throw a 14 pound ball to nine feet, 150 times, like they're going to get 50 in and be absolute muscle fatigue, like handstand pushup style and not be able to do a single rep more. Right. So right. even, even across, even if two athletes had the exact same level of spinal cord injury, they still need to have an individualized, you know, notional RX. Yep. And so and that's, that's the difference between adapting. When you adapt, you adapt for somebody's permanent uh, limitations from their impairment. Right. right. One of the other things that I took, and this is, and Cassidy taught me this when he came back, was like just using words like, um, so let's say, and I've talked about this in previous episodes before, but again, like the little things matter. And this is for both able-bodied athletes and adaptive athletes, right? So saying something like, so for instance, today our workout is uh, chest bar pull-ups and uh, devil's press. So if I'm giving that brief, I could make a mistake and say, all right, guys, it's, uh, you know, two rounds of four and eight here and chest bar pull-ups. And if you can't do chest bar pull-ups, then you're going to do pull-ups, right? And right there, that really, really tiny insert of the word can't is a mistake, sure. right? Or something as simple uh, like we're sending people out on a 400-meter run up for the warm-up. And I could say, hey, guys, we're going to go 400-meter run. And if you can't run, you're going to do this. 
Now, not just to give everybody the problem, to give them the answer, the way you can rephrase things like that is, hey, chest to bar pull-ups here. If you're still working on chest to bar pull-ups, then we're going to do pull-ups. Or if, I've, if we're going to do ring rows, just leave the word can't out because it doesn't matter, right? Like it's kind of irrelevant. Or if, I, if some people are going on a run, I'll be like, hey, my runner's over here. My folks on the rower are going to be over here. So not emphasizing what they can't do, emphasize what they can do and approach it from that, which is just a good coaching tactic regardless of the athlete right so this is the this is where i think coaches can get like a massive amount of bleed over from an adaptive course like whether you have adaptive athletes or not you're going to be a better coach connect with people on a, on a deeper level just because thinking about it in these terms i don't know i think it just makes you a little bit more empathetic most definitely um that's what we say to most people like you just in the beginning i said you have you don't have any true adaptive athletes in your gym you may never have somebody come in with a significant permanent impairment come train with you but the things you're going to learn and how to adapt, how to blend adapting and scaling language, that'll carry over to all of your athletes in your gym, right? Like we all know in your gym, there's people with varying degrees of some type of limitation. They not, may not be classified as an adaptive athlete or identify as an adaptive athlete, but everybody has something they're working through. We're like twist your ankle playing flag football, right. uh, you know, tweak your shoulder back in the day playing sports. And now, you know, it hurts when you go overhead. So what do you do for that person? Like they're not, maybe not typically an adaptive athlete, but now you're going to get some more tools in your coaching tool belt to be able to work with everybody in your gym, right? You're, you're a more thoughtful, educated coach. And then you also are prepared to work with that significant permanent impairment, somebody with a permanent disability that comes into your gym and language wise, you know, you were, you, the example you gave was very specific with can't. And I, I love that. But we, what we typically see at the whiteboard is people using the term normal, a lot huh. and we want to try not to use that term less often if possible it comes out very very often for example let's say you're doing a warm-up yeah um and you do have some adaptive athletes you could say hey uh hey seated guys as we call people in wheelchairs is like a colloquial term we would say hey go how about seated athletes uh you guys go give me a 400 meter on the skier and uh normal athletes go ahead go outside give me a 400 meter jog Right? And you don't mean anything by it. But then yeah. all of a sudden, normal is put on one level of a hierarchy. And those seated athletes are now, what, less than normal or, or at right. least not normal. Um, and we see that, too, with our uh, points performance and standards for movements. Right, if, if you say, okay, the seated, again, for that wall ball example for Karen would be, all right, the, the seated standard would be 14-pound ball to nine feet in their chair uh, for 150 reps. And then the normal uh karen standard is you know 20 pound ball to yeah to right and you don't mean anything by it but then all of a sudden you're like wait if that's normal then what's not normal right am i less than normal so and i what i don't want people to do listening to this is think oh man like i'm really scared to talk i don't want people to be scared to use their words <laughs> you get up to the whiteboard you're like blah, 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 blah. <laughs> uh, you know, a catch-all term that I love to use at the whiteboard is, uh, like, we like to say, hey, just don't even talk about RX or scale. Just That's where talk. I've gone. Let's talk about, hey, here's the, here's the intention of today. We'd like you guys to finish all in about five minutes. Right. And it's going to be tough. You're going to hit fatigue. Uh, let's, let's figure out the best way for everybody to do this today. Right? Let's right. Like, that's where I've gone completely in my whiteboard briefs. Less is more. So, if, like, I'll, again, give the – the workout for today, right? It's just, just like it's a it's 
like kind of like an open workout. So it's three minute intervals and you basically buy into the next three minutes if you can finish the rounds and it's chest to bar pull-ups and then devil's press. When briefing that, like I would, I would not say chest to bar pull-ups, right? I would get to chest to bar pull-ups when I start talking about the different ways we could modify the workout. But when I initially brief it, I'm like, Hey guys, it's going to be eight and four. We're going to do some variation of pulling. And then we're going to do something that looks like a devil's press. And that way I've, I've cast like the broadest net possible on the group. And then once I talk about that and then the stimulus, Hey guys, we want to have about two minutes rest here before we go to the next one. And then I'll go back and be like, okay, let's talk about the pull-up. There's a lot of different ways we could do this. Chest of our pull-ups, you know, regular pull-up. Regular is probably not even a, I don't even know that right now. I'm like, oh, fuck. Um, just like, you know, like just a regular pull up. And then we've got ring rows. We've got straight bar dip. We've got all these other things, right? Like whatever is available for you, that's what we want to do. Um, sure. Or whatever's appropriate for you is, is what we want to do. So I probably over the last two years have gotten more and more and more general when giving the whiteboard brief because I've become hypersensitive to the fact that the second you make it specific, I've left people out. Oh, right. And, and on the flip side, as soon as you say deadlifts at 225, every, <laughs> like a quarter of the room's like, I have to do deadlifts at 225. They feel obligated now. They're just like, fuck, now I got to do that. And, right? and what is really the RX, right? Like if you look at Diane, deadlifts at 225, 2159, and handstand pushups. At the time that was created, that was like, oh man, this is a challenge of fitness. Right. This is going to destroy people. And now deadlift, for, for men at 225 and handstand pushups, that's like, okay, what happens after I finish that? Like, where's the challenge of the workout? We're like, mm -hmm. you know, the top athletes in the world, 225 deadlift, the new is 315, right? If you right. look at the from this year, they had to do 315 with handstand pushups because that's how we've progressed. We've learned proper technique and we've got stronger and fitter so that that 225, that RX that used to exist is is old, it's, it's outdated. So why, you know, putting an RX specific on uh, maybe weights or even, you know, sometimes even repetitions or time domains uh, is really not the best in theory. Now, right. I understand why gym owners and gym and trainers do it because you can't spend 30 minutes at the whiteboard explaining the workout in detail. You've got to get going, got to get moving quick. So, um, but I do. Well, you have to have a line in the sand somewhere, right? For, as far as a measuring stick. You know, so it's not, we're not poo-pooing on like weights and stuff like that. All we're saying is they can read, right? Like they'll see the number up there. You don't need to emphasize it. And this is something that, uh, this is kind of how I'll answer a question about like, you know, athlete level two, right? So have, <clears throat> I've got these athletes that won't scale and I'll always ask the questions. I'll be like, tell me how you would brief this workout. And they'll be like, I would brief it like this. And I'm like, you just emphasized all the wrong things right? You emphasized the weight, this type of movement. And I was like, emphasize what's supposed to happen, not these arbitrary numbers, because they are kind of arbitrary. We just made them up because they like, they sucked and they suck a little less now because collectively we're all fitter, but don't emphasize those things. Emphasize what you want to happen. And then you're going to be far better off. Like, so don't, I've never read weights anymore. Like you're never going to catch me saying a oh, weight at the whiteboard anymore. Like it's never going to happen. Um, emphasize what's supposed to happen eight to 12 minutes, four to six rounds, like whatever, you know, this should be two sets max to get to this one. Right. So I'm putting people in the stimulus and it's interesting. We're having this conversation because November, uh, every year, this will be our third or fourth year doing it. We do what's called RX month at the gym and we give, basically you get to put RX next to your name if you hit the intended stimulus, which we give you. Right. So we give rep ranges, we give weight ranges. So we give like 
I mean, it could be a, it could be a 50 rep rep range. It could be, Hey, something between 150, uh, excuse me, between 150 reps, any, anything you could pick up, you could pick arbitrary as fuck numbers too. You'd be like 58. I'm like, doesn't matter. Whatever puts you in this window, that is what RX is. Cause that's what we're shooting for. And people were a little hesitant the first year we did it, but it gets to be really, really fun because it really starts to get the gears cranking on some of your members. Like, what if I do change the weight just five pounds here or there, or these rep schemes, or, and I play around with it? So, you know, really emphasizing what is supposed to happen is is probably your best bet. Which leads me to kind of the next thing, which I think is super important that was very well highlighted in the course, which is what training for adaptive athletes has an entirely separate, not entirely separate it's a little bit more focused. Like why are they there is a little bit more focused, right? Like, yes, we're all there for functional fitness and longevity, but when adaptive athletes start training, it's way more pertinent to their life and their, and their um, quality of life, which is important right. to understand from a coaching standpoint. Right. Their functionality is what we preach, right? right? Like, you take for granted, you have people without significant permanent disabilities called able-bodied athletes. Right. Come to your gym, they're like, I want to look better. You know, I want to feel better. I, you know, want to maybe sometimes they're like, I want to move these specific markers up or down or whatever, but they just come in and you just start putting them in GPP training and they're going to be good to go. Mm -hmm. For adaptive athletes, you don't necessarily need to do something different, but the, the impact you can have on somebody's life when they come in and they currently tell you like, Hey, I can't walk more than two two flights of stairs with my prosthetic. Mm -hmm. And you can go from having them do that and they're, their quality of life is significantly impacted to now they can walk infinite number of flights of stairs because you've taught them how to squat properly. You've taught them and increased their cardiovascular endurance or strength and all of those 10 markers, man, you can, you can improve somebody's life significantly, right? Um, maybe it has more effect like spinal cord injuries, seated athletes, they come in, you know, their ability to transfer from object to object. Yep. Kevin Oliver talks about this all the time, you know, the muscle up, something we do in the gym ring or bar or whatever every single time uh somebody who uses a wheelchair goes from their chair to their car and their chair to their bed they're doing some form of a transfer which is like a muscle up mm -hmm. right if you teach them proper technique and you just even get their pull-ups and their dips have better quality and movement patterns that's going to transfer to their life and have a huge effect on how functional and independent they are in their life so it, it's really it's it's really an amazing thing that you can do for somebody's life without even really knowing what you're doing for them. Right. Just yeah. by applying some of our principles and applying GPP, man, it's huge. The effect that, and I think just cause I, this could really freak some people out, you know, admittedly, I, um, I mean, I think I'm coming up on eight years in seminar staff and I recently had, um, Kyle Maynard at a level one, so for anybody who doesn't know Kyle Maynard, he's a congenital amputee, quad amputee. So he has no arms, no legs. He's, and this dude's like, quite frankly, one of the more able-bodied people I've ever met in my life. This guy is an animal. Like he is amazing. But admittedly, I was a little nervous about that because I'm like, I'm just racking my brain. I'm like, what is this guy can do during the squat breakout? What's he going to do during the press breakout? Like, how is he going to do all of those things? But I went back and I referenced and what should put most trainers at ease is you're not required to have all the answers, right? Number one, it's just 
just ask them what they can do. Hey, what, what are, what are you capable of doing with regard to the sum of this workout? Because they have many of these answers and now it becomes more of a conversation. And that was one of the big takeaways that I took originally. And then again, when I took the courses, like I don't have to have all of the answers here. Like this is a conversation and we're going to solve this together. Right. Exactly. That, that trainer athlete feedback loop should be continual. And, and yeah, you have an athlete come in that's a spinal cord injury or, or Kyle Maynard. Look, they've been able to live their life. They're alive and they function throughout the day. Right. So just ask them what they would prefer doing or what, how they, Hey, how do you get something overhead? Right. Like, Oh, let me show you. I'll show you yeah. how I get something. Now let's figure out how to do that in the gym and train that to get that better. Maybe the best option isn't a barbell. Maybe it's a sandbag or dumbbells or something or kettlebells. Figure that out. It's, it's going to be, as long as you're, I'd say, as long as you're a thoughtful, caring coach, trainer, you're, you're going to be fine with most athletes. Now, taking courses like our course and the level two from CrossFit, they are going to make you way better coaches and way more capable of working with these people. But as long as you're thoughtful and you're caring, you're, you're going to be okay. Like, it, there's no, no need to be fearful of coaching people with disabilities or deconditioned athletes, whoever it may be. Yeah. It's just, it can be overwhelming. Like if you've never had to deal, you know, so I, I think I've, you know, Kyle, I think he might, that might, no, I don't know. That, I don't want to say that's the most extreme because he's incredibly capable. Um, I mean, stuff that some of the, like he was like, he can write with a pen, like he can pull his phone in and out of his pocket and text on his phone. I mean, it's crazy walking, like watching him just live his life and the things that he's adapted to just function, um, which are, it's just mind blowing. But then I've, I've trained uh, blind athletes, you know, I've had a, I've had a blind athlete in, uh, who's actually a friend of mine, um, uh, EOD guy who got blown up, uh, Brad Snyder, um, in the level one course. And I've, and I've had other athletes in some of those scenarios and it's been, I had some of that in my back pocket, but I always, I mean, I still get nervous sometimes. I'm like, man, I just really want this person to have a good time. And then I just ask them. <laughs> And I'm yeah, just like, exactly. let me just ask him, let me just forego all of this anxiety. And he's like, Hey, what, like, how can we, how can we adapt this today? And then we like, usually come up with something that's like pretty awesome. Yeah. You know? And you're talking about like actual training and movements and how you accomplish those things. But even with language, you go back to language, just ask the person, Hey, how would you like me to talk? Would you like me to call you? What would you like me to call your leg or, you know, whatever, like most people, as long as you ask, they'll, They'll tell you, even if you make a mistake, it's like, okay, you didn't come to replace, you know, no big deal. Like, let's figure out a better way to do this. And yeah. like, I prefer, I prefer this language. And what's different sub uh, communities, you know, even within the, the deaf community, there's, there's people that don't use sign language. There's people that use like a cochlear implant that can hear using uh, technology. And it's just a matter of asking and just having discussion to say, what do you prefer? Okay, cool. Now we've set the standard and now we know uh, go forward from there. So language, movements, workout styles, just be a thoughtful coach and ask those questions. Actually, I take it back. I do. We do have an app that we have a guy here who does, he has, uh, I don't know if he's hundred percent deaf, but he definitely cannot hear without his like, and he's a younger guy. And that was something that we had to adapt. And we had to have a, a basically a meeting with the coaching staff and basically it, it didn't require anything special. So we didn't have to go and have him sit down with Dan. It was, you know, it was just like, Hey, when you're speaking, you just need to make sure that you're facing him so that he can 
see your mouth moving and that solved everything. It wasn't a big deal anymore. Um, but just simple things like that, just having the awareness to be like, Oh, I have somebody who's hearing impaired in this class. I can't talk away from them because now they're really lost and confused. And if you're just paying just a little bit of attention, you'll pick up on it because you'll see them tune into you when you start talking and then you just become a little bit more aware of it. And then they have a good experience. They don't feel left out. And that's really the whole thing is that, Yes, we're training them, but we want them to feel like they're included, which is conversation. How are we going to do this today? And then from there, it's just having a plan. You know, if you know they're coming in, like, you know, do a little pre-planning, you know, depending on what the workout is. Um, and, you know, they get it, right? I, I think most of them get it. At least, the, at least the folks that I've worked with, they're like, yeah, this is, it's different. Like, you're probably not a specialist in this, so I'll help you and you'll help me and we'll, and we'll make it happen. Look, you're going to... Honestly, if you ask people with disabilities about their impairment, about what their lives, you know, especially things like spinal cord injuries and about their bladder valve functioning. And things. That was another big one that I had no concept of. Get way more information than you probably ever want to. <laughs> like, ask Kevin Ogar about how you know he poops and pees, and he's going to tell you things that you do not want to know. <laughs> and he's going to tell you just to, simply to make you uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, one hundred percent. And you know how. I miss live seminars because in live seminars, one of the very first things we do, we keep a very open, like fun, you know, jovial type environment. If if anybody knows Kevin and and Logan and all the guys, like they're, we're always cracking jokes. And like one of the very first things we do is just crack some like disability jokes, right? Like talking about how Kevin, you know, is a stand up guy or, you know, like I always introduce Logan Aldridge uh, as my right hand man because he only has one right front arm, you know, like. Once you start laughing, you realize we're just people. Like, you know, it's it's not something to be scared of. Yeah, it was. Uh, that was. I was like freaked out the first couple times I like spent a significant amount of time around Kevin because I was like, "Is it okay to laugh at some of these jokes that Kevin's making?" I'm like, I mean, he's making the jokes, but I don't know if I laugh if it's appropriate. And you're like, "Oh no, no, he's he's actually like really joking around, and it's funny." Oh, yeah, he's joking. Uh, he wants you to feel uncomfortable because that's part oh, of it's literally the the highlight of his day is making people feel uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's just having a relationship and understanding. It's just like, listen, like it's, it's a thing. Let's just be aware of it. It doesn't have to be uncomfortable. Let's just deal with it, you know? Um, but I think, I think a lot of trainers would get tremendous amount of value, not something that's going to be like, actually, I take that back. You're probably going to walk out of that course and immediately be able to help somebody in your class who is an able body athlete that you, because you're going to look at it through a different lens now. And Yes, you may not ever have a, uh, 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 an adaptive athlete in your class, but you mentioned it earlier, you will 100% deal with somebody who is injured. And your ability to navigate that scenario is what's going to keep them coming in, even while they're injured, because they feel confident that you can maneuver around that and they can still train and they can do so safely. So that is, you're going to get a ton out of this course, and I really, really recommend it. Um, I'm trying to think of some other guys, just so much in that course. Any other big ticket items in there that you want? You started talking about, and this is one thing that I think people are aware of, you know, like with a spinal cord injury, right? Like like Kevin, I I know Kevin doesn't mind me talking about his specific condition, but you know, Kevin is a a T10 paraplegic. So Mm -hmm. a thoracic joint around the 10, uh, 11 vertebrae. And so if you imagine anything from there below doesn't have, he doesn't have sensory or motor function. Mm -hmm. So that includes all of your bowel and bladder function. And that's something we teach in the course is just to be aware of it. Like you do not need to know exactly how this person 
voids their bladder, bladder and bowels. But you just need to be aware that that is, that is something that's on their mind mm-hmm. and that they may need to take care of either during a class, right? It could be something happened, right? People pee themselves all the time doing double unders. Mm-hmm. It just happens. Well, at some point in time, a spinal cord injury athlete may have an issue with their bladder or bowel during the workout. And you don't want to make this into some big, huge issue. So we just give you the awareness. So you're like, oh yeah, I know about this. So like, I'll talk to my athlete and I understand mm-hmm. how they're going to manage this themselves. And, you know, our gym is prepared in case there is an accident. We can help them take care of this and not have it be some kind of huge issue. Right. So I think a lot of our course is just awareness. We've taken just, hey, here's some things you need to be aware of for each type of athlete that you may see. And then we'll give you the tools to be able to train them and keep them in an inclusive setting. And I think that's one of the big takeaways too is, you know, we, well, our goal is not to create special adaptive classes around the, the, the world where mm-hmm. if you're an adaptive athlete, you have to go to the gym at 4 p.m. on right. Monday, Friday. There may be a need for that. And I've run like a recreational therapy program with the na- local Naval Hospital using that model. But that's a special rec therapy where they actually book an appointment and come do fitness with us. Um, the, the goal is to make it so that any athlete can walk a role into any class in your gym and take the class with your coach. And there not need to be a special class, right? Like, let's just have everybody work out together. That's the yeah. inclusiveness part of this. Yeah. I think, so a couple different scenarios, because I know people have tried to, I guess, like separate or segregate those just because some people might feel uncomfortable, whether it's the athlete who's doing adaptive or maybe other people in the class who are just aren't sure of what's going on. Um, the, I mean, personally, and feel free to give me, I would, the way I would solve that problem is we would just spend a little bit more time one-on-one. So I get to know this athlete, what things we need to deal with, what things we need to plan for, and then get them into the class. But we do that with every athlete uh-huh. at this point, but that one would be, that one would be an absolute like, Hey, there's, there's, there's some very specific things we need to, we need to sort out. And then we need to train the staff on that. Right. It's just exactly. like, Hey, what is this injury? What does that consist of? What are their capabilities? And then what things do we need to plan for? And then that needs to go out to the class because you might not be in all of their classes, but you know, I, I, I like the fact that you guys are not pushing to start like adaptive only classes. Yeah. I mean, there, so that model you just talked about, that onboarding plan where you have some type of one-on-one or small group care and then training with your staff is exactly what we preach. Um, that's the best model. Um, now, if, if adaptive athletes can go into your gym and just join any class, great. But there, you have to be aware there are going to be people that will need, always need one-on-one care. There right. may be people that always need a special class. And that is completely okay. But that's going to be on a case-by-case basis. And you'll figure that out. Right. Like, and they'll probably tell you that's what they want. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like we see yeah. what we call neurodiverse or people with intellectual disabilities. Uh, most often, you know, they probably will need either uh, an extra coach or a special time uh, with like peers to do a workout. And that's okay. Right. Like we don't, our goal of being inclusive doesn't mean that everybody has to be in an inclusive class every single time. Mm-hmm. It can be inclusiveness to the degree that they want to be inclusive. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so how does the cohort work now? So when does the next one start? If somebody's listened to this, because it'll probably drop tomorrow. Yeah, um, we, uh, it's, it's October, was this 19th today? 18th? Yeah, we so, start, we're starting on Thursday. Uh, okay. uh, so the next cohort's on Thursday. 
that's a four week cohort. So you'll get through the course in four weeks. You're still doing the education on your own time. So mm-hmm. put aside an hour, two hours uh, a day, every other day to get through the, the online course and then spend an hour with us every Thursday talking with all of our staff. Um, so we, you get to meet all of our SME staff from um, an ASL and disability awareness expert to you know Kevin Ogar to uh, Will Wright, who's the head of the University of Alabama strength conditioning for all of their adaptive athletics teams. So they have a multi-million dollar facility down there and he, he focuses more on strength conditioning. Um, but you'll get a chance to meet with all of these people um, and ask them questions and hear feedback and you go through some extra things. Four weeks long, you'll get through the course, we'll guide you through that course and then uh, you earn your certification. Otherwise, awesome. if you don't feel like you can make those times or you wanna spend more time, then you can do the self-paced course and that's always available. That's what I was going to ask is if, the, if, is if the cohort was the only option. You, so you still have the kind of on your own, but you also have the cohort. And That's then, right. so let's say somebody jo- doesn't jump into this one. How, what's the frequency of the cohorts? Um, they're going to be about every month. Okay. Uh, but we are taking December off just for the holiday. Uh, yeah. We have some other really big projects we're coming out with that we're excited about. So nice. uh, the next cohort is starting this Thursday, October 22nd. Almost uh, and then the next one is going to be the beginning of January. So okay. you want to spend a little time and you're like, Hey, I'm not quite sure yet. The next one is in January. Cool. Uh, you can go through that forward cohort. If you want to start the self-paced course and you get into it and you're like, okay, this is a little bit thicker than I thought. I wish I had some more contact with the staff. Then all you have to do is let us know and we'll switch you over to the cohort. You can join the next cohort when it starts. Nice. We're really not, there's no strictness about going back and forth, but also That's awesome. even if you were in the self-paced course, you've had the ability to, to schedule zoom session with us. So, you know, as long as you're not Zooming with us every day, uh, you, can set, you can set up like a 30 minute, 15 minute Zoom with us once a week just to review content and ask questions if you get stuck on a, a concept or a if I If I did that, I would only have one demand and is that Kevin couldn't be on the Zoom just because all we do is talk shit to each other for an hour. That's all we do anyway. We're it, would, it would be the most unproductive Zoom call of all time. Um, you should listen in on one of our, our, our whole ATAs. We have a weekly staff meeting. And, you know, I try to keep it to 30 minutes to be a, a keep it low for the time. And like 29 minutes in, we're still just like talking, telling jokes and like talking. Like we, have, we haven't even gotten to the yeah. content for the meeting yeah. yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, all right. Awesome, dude. Thanks for your time. I, uh, if you guys have any questions about Adaptive Training Ad- Academy or any of the courses content, um, hit us up. Uh, but also, uh, what is your Instagram handle? I know it's ATA. I know it's got the logo on there. but uh, For Instagram, it's Adaptive Training. That's what I thought. Okay. So go follow adaptive training and then adaptive training Academy on Facebook. Yeah, that's correct. Okay, cool. Um, so go follow them. If you got questions, um, hit them up, we can hand you off, but, uh, I highly recommend it from a coaching standpoint. It's one of the, it's one of the courses I would recommend the most for coaches. It's just a wealth of knowledge and just going to allow you to look through a different lens when you're coaching. So, um, check it out. It's an amazing course. You will not regret it. And, uh, you and your clients will be uh, better off for it. So Alec, I know you're busy, bro. Thank you again for your time. Look forward to more conversations about this. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. If you haven't already, do us a favor, head over to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, feedback for either Fern or myself, hit us up, besthouroftheirday at gmail.com 
or send us a DM over on Instagram at best hour of their day. Once again, we couldn't do this without the amazing community and you are a part of it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting best hour of their day.